Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome, one and all, to Storybox, the place to be if you are a lover of stories learning, growth, and you want to improve your life. My name is Jay Phantom, and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I am truly grateful that you have decided to listen in today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice evermore and be kind for everyone you know is fighting a hard battle. My friends, Merry Christmas and welcome to Storybox Podcast. And have I got a Christmas present for each and every one of you today. Now, I have wanted to release this episode for a long time, but I thought what better time to release this episode about love about purpose, romance, uh, you name it, on today's episode. Jessica Clark and Ben Higgins, and a lot of uh, girls are screaming, saying, oh, Jessica Clark, Jessica Clark. Yes, I know, and a lot of the girls too saying, oh, Ben Higgins, Ben Higgins. Yep, I, I get it because if you've seen The American Bachelor or Bachelorette, Bachelorette, then you would have seen Ben Higgins on that or one of the seasons. I believe it was the 11th season that he was on The Bachelorette. Um, and he was also on the 20th season of The Bachelor. So what I thought I would do is release Jessica Clark's episode first and then we go straight into Ben Higgins' episode two. So what you're going to hear is Jessica's point of view and how she met Ben and what she thought of Ben when she met him. And then what you're going to hear is Ben's take on the entire story as well, plus so much more. It is such a great conversation, both of, both of these interviews actually, for Jessica finding purpose, uh, finding what love really means and looks like, why she wants to spend the rest of her life with Ben, what the Bible verse and being a Christian uh, means to her. So she has the Bible verse that I read out in the beginning on her Instagram uh, and what rejoice evermore truly means to her. I think that's those are two very, very powerful words that we all need to have in our own lives today. Plus, we also talk about um, being in the spotlight after not being in the spotlight uh, for such a long time. So she was literally thrust into the, the world of media after she started dating um, Ben. 
but it's a fascinating uh, deep dive look. But Jessica also has her own little mini um, projects that she has on. So she has a new uh, collection for necklaces and earrings and a skin uh, page that you can all check out. So it's just skin Jess. So check it out um, and have a look more on that. Plus, I'm excited to say that Ben has also um, is just about to release his own book called Alone in Plain Sight. And you can pre-order that now. I'll make sure all the links are available below so you can do that. Get your copy. Make sure you read it. I'll make sure to order my copy as well. Ben, you heard it here first. It's a, it's a, it's a must now. It's set in stone. <laughs> but I know you guys are really going to love this episode because there's so much amazing goodness in it. So I won't labor on the point anymore. Uh, if you do get something from it, share it around. Also, if you do feel obligated to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, make sure you do that. Also, subscribe for more amazing episodes and guests. Merry Christmas, everyone. It is time to dive into the story box. Rejoice evermore because we have not one, but two. We have Jessica Clark and Ben Higgins sharing their incredible stories. Well... For later references, you're able to watch the video because it's recording both of us. So you'll be able to see it later. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That'll yeah. be great. So really appreciate it. Um, I don't normally get people saying that I have more than 30 minutes with them. So awesome. <laughs> but <laughs> It's my day off. So got all the time in the fantastic. world. Fantastic. Going to have a lot of fun. So... If there's anything off limits as well, just let me know. And then I won't even go there either. So Nope. I'm a pretty open book. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. Um, okay. Well, everyone, I'm delighted to welcome Jessica Clark to the Storybox podcast today. Jessica is the co-owner of two businesses, one called SweatNet Nashville and SweatNet Denver. And she's also... Uh, a, a business operator, and I believe she's studying to be a beautician, as what Australians would call it. Uh, she had a, a, a crazy name that I can't actually say, um, and I've forgotten already, but I remember you actually did telling me. You've also got a, a Bible verse on there on, on your Instagram page, which is first, I can't even say it again, first Thessalonians 5.16. I, I swear God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> he decided to do that, um, which basically says rejoice evermore. And you are dedicated to helping others. Jessica, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome you to the Storybox podcast today and butchering that intro. <laughs> no, it was perfect. Thank you for having me. Like I said, it's my absolute pleasure to have you. Uh, I'm really looking forward to actually speaking to you today. I have one question that I love asking people to start things off. And that is, what does success look like to you? Um, I think success to me is waking up with a purpose. It doesn't really, I feel like I've experienced different levels of success or what people would say is successful and you can write them down on paper, but it's the feeling of having a purpose and making an impact, even if it's a small impact. Mm. Um, I think then you can be successful. Where did you come up with this idea of success and relating it to your purpose? Was it more of a, a gradual thing over time or was there more of a catalyst moment somewhere in your life? I think it's been a gradual thing over time. I think um, I've always been competitive. I 
was a competitive runner in college and all through high school. And then I quit that and I went out into the world and I got a job with a high paying salary. And so I had the success of money or a promising career and um, the success of social media for whatever that's worth and the success of owning a company. But all of that has always felt empty if I'm not actually impacting other people or interacting with other people on a daily basis. Um, so I think that it was like last year, I finally got to the conclusion when on paper, everything looked great. And I was like, but something's still missing. And it was that the purpose aspect of life. Was it like a sudden moment that you realized, Oh, I'm missing this in my life. Or was it more or less like you started realizing it over the last couple of weeks and you started thinking about it over the last couple of weeks and was it like a ton of bricks that it dropped on you? Yes. I think that's exactly it is I started to like, I had finally gotten to exactly where I wanted to be. Everything seemed like it was on track and, um, I was waking up in like these weird moods and funks and couldn't figure out why I wasn't happy or why I didn't feel satisfied. And mm. uh, it was because I was living very like selfishly and every day was planned around my agenda. And that wasn't, uh, it just didn't sit right. And so, yeah, it kind of hit me one day whenever I was going about doing my Jessica day. And I was like, this is so not right. And something has to change and um so yeah i think the ton of bricks is a perfect description of that so what would you say your purpose is today compared to what it was before i think my purpose is to be vulnerable with others and to invite others into vulnerability mm. and that sounds very like complicated i guess it could but really it came about from um, realizing that in sharing what's really hard in my life, other people can relate to me more and realize that they're not alone. And I think that's something that is really impactful, especially right now when um, we can't necessarily like be around people. And so you can t feel really, really lonely and making sure that that doesn't happen. Speaking about vulnerability for a moment, because that's a topic that not a lot of people like speaking about because it does hurt a lot of people like being vulnerable we as human beings were we struggle with it because we're very much closed off so how can someone actually be more vulnerable and why is it important to be vulnerable i think um i mean i can only speak from personal experience but what made me feel comfortable in being vulnerable was the very first time that I shared like the deepest, darkest secrets that I thought I had, it was with someone who said, oh yeah, I've been there or mm. I've done that or I felt something similar and realizing that like the yuckiest parts of me are kind of a part of everyone. And so there shouldn't be shame associated with them. And the whole purpose of having like those hard pasts, I personally believe that we have those hard things so that we can make a positive impact on someone else or relate to someone else. I mean, humans are innately relational people and we need a community to thrive. And so I, the way that you can relate to others tends to be from being super vulnerable. I personally like people more when I realize that they aren't perfect. And so, um, I think that 
I'm a recovered perfectionist. And so realizing that no one wants to be around a perfectionist was really huge. I struggle with perfection or chasing this idea of what perfection actually was. And it Mm -hmm. did more harm to me and my mentality than good because I realized that why, why, why was I chasing perfection in the first place? Was it for my own gratification or was it for other people's uh, gratification or, or they can see Jay, he's, he's doing this. Therefore we're going to like give him a little bit of a boost almost. And I was like boosting my ego. So I think that chasing this idea of perfection is an ego boost for many people. And that's why it's so attractive, but then it's also so deadly at the same time. And then the only way to really unhinge that is to be vulnerable and to say, I've got an actual problem <laughs> with, with chasing perfection, which takes time once again. But why, I'm, I'm curious about why it's so harmful for, say, a person to actually, why do they fear actually being vulnerable in the first place? I think it all goes back to these feelings of guilt and shame that we carry with us. Oh, that's, I think uh, that, my question was, I just remembered, why do people feel so shameful in the first place? That, that's what, oh, yeah. That's a good question. Um, gosh, that's a harder question. Hmm. I think that um, we're scared or I, I'll just continue to speak personally, hmm. but I think sometimes I get scared that if I am too vulnerable, someone will call me out and that will be shameful. And that feeling of shame is like something you have to struggle with yourself. Like no one can take shame away from you. Mm. People can like encourage you and say, you're doing a great job and all this. But if you have a feeling of shame, that's something that you have to work on. And that can be really, really hard. And um, I think that it can also be something that like sharing with other people is scary because usually your shame is true. Mm. And so it's scary to know that someone could be agree with you in that too. That makes sense. It does make, it makes perfect sense, especially when you said, because that shame is true. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what breaks us down oftentimes is realizing in, in the moment that, okay, this situation that we have put ourselves in, it's mostly our choice in the first place. And we've accepted it to be the case. And we feel this this sense of shame, but we've got to ask ourselves, why are we feeling it in the first place? And Mm -hmm. how can I get over this feeling of being shameful to others or even to myself, like not being confident? And I guess my question to you is, having been someone in, I guess you could say the spotlight in the media, it could be all these ideas can be thrown around and you can at any moment be shamed for anything. How Mm -hmm. do you build this sense of resilience and a sense of confidence about yourself to just be you and not worry about what the media is saying or other people are saying? Um, Well, there are two things. First of all, I definitely do worry about it sometimes. And it's hard to remember that the things that are being like, you can't please everyone, I guess, is the basics of it is I'm always, if you have a platform of any kind, whether it's a million or a hundred people following you, 
you're not going to make everybody happy. And that might just be like your grandmother that doesn't love the photo of you that you just posted, but like, you're going to have to get over it. And so as long as you're consistent and you're staying true to yourself, you can't be upset about the one person that doesn't like you. And then what kind of has helped me a lot actually is last year I was having a conversation with my roommate and we were talking about first dates. She had just gone on a first date with someone and um, she, we were just talking about, you know, what happens if you don't hear from the guy again? And she was like, you know what, if I don't hear from a guy after a first date, he's not rejecting me because he doesn't know me. There's something else inside of him that he is just not ready to get to know me. Mm. And that stuck with me whenever I face rejection or someone not liking me on social media or in the media, or even after meeting me in person, which I don't know, but Um, they don't really know me. They know they have a perceived image of me or they know me from the two second video they saw or the photo that maybe didn't sit well with them, but um, they don't actually know my heart. And so they're not really rejecting me. There's something else going on. So when you approach it from that perspective, it doesn't feel as like hard or as um, rejection filled as it is just you know, it's, it's Mm. okay. It's easy for us to make judgment calls based on what is available, the kind of information. And I always seem to say to people, look, there's always two sides to every story. You're just seeing one small part of it. You're not seeing the whole story yet. Why don't Mm -hmm. you, instead of making a, a, a perceived judgment call, start off with why don't you go and ask them but a lot of people are too afraid to ask a question because it means that they're kind of owning up to their fault their mistake and they're trying to i think most most times they don't want to believe that it's true and Mm -hmm. if it is true it makes it even worse for them um as well so it's always a for me i i don't it's easy to judge and i'm always catching myself judging the exterior rather than the interior. And then I I need to catch myself when I do that and apologize firstly to me and say, why am I doing that in the first place? I shouldn't be judging someone else because I'm no better than them. I like what you're saying about the followers and it's very, it's very true because social media has this, this idea that the more followers you have, the more popular you are but you don't know what's going on on in that person's life. I mean, they could be miserable. They could, you know, it's all up to them. And it's so, it's like a shallow view in a way of, of looking at what fame really is and what identity really is and how people can actually find who they are when they're being thrust with so much, um, I guess you could say heavy, heavy content and a lot of pressure from society. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a crazy thing, isn't it? Oh, it's so crazy. And I think I like what you said about identity too, because when you do follow people on social media or you look at their life, it's easy to lose your identity into this spiral of comparison. And so um, I think that makes it really hard too, because you can, I mean, you can compare yourself to anybody on there and wonder why they have something that you don't. And that gets super dangerous too. So 
the snap judgments and the not knowing what's going on in people's lives, just like you said, yeah, it's, it happens quickly and it happens to everybody. You become a vicious cycle uh, Mm -hmm. and it's very, very hard to break, but you've got to be the one to make the choice to actually break it. And sorry, my mum's making a smoothie in the background. I don't know if you can hear. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sounds like my life. <laughs> yeah. But really a lot of a lot of people that I've spoken to, a lot of young people actually, they they got a lot tougher than what I had. And I'm only 23, turning 24 next month, but I didn't have a phone growing up until I was in my late teens. So I didn't have this uh, consumption of, of social media. So all these young people that are getting it at the age of five, six, seven years old, they're already having, their minds haven't even fully developed yet and they're already getting a sense of what the world actually is like all this negative information that's being pumped into their brains and they're told this is how you're meant to think, how you're meant to feel, et cetera, et cetera. And then they go and later on in life, they, they compare themselves to other people and they don't feel their own worth and it it's so much it's harder and that's what leads to a lot of depression a lot of anxiety a lot of high stress um you know all all these disorders that come from pretty much what we take in like and, and that's yeah. that's mostly our choice and like i said before we've we've chosen to accept it you know mm-hmm. it's sad in in many ways no it is i mean so i'm i just turned 25 so we're around the same age and i don't know about you but when i was in like middle school and high school no one really had anxiety or talked about it no. and then i feel like in college it kind of became more of a thing but now there's all these like elementary school students that are struggling with anxiety and i think a lot of it does come from what you're talking about of just you're on your phones and you're looking at all these things that you're not. And yeah, that'll make anyone anxious. Yeah. Like when, when I was growing up, I mean, when I turned 14, I met this girl, she, she exposed me to a whole new world of mental health and depression and anxiety, but that was mostly, she already had it before we met and she was very good at masking it. Then all of a sudden, because she took notice of me and I wasn't exactly, you could say popular in school, she took notice of me. We started talking and then two weeks, two, three weeks down the line, she goes, I'm depressed. And she starts cutting herself on, on Skype. And so I, I had to, I was exposed to all this and I, I was, I was going through puberty at the same time. So I was forming all these ideas of what the world was really like at 14 and having to be, you know, it, it got it got to the point where I actually got depressed as well. I, it was an emotionally abusive situation. But there's kids. I've spoken to kids as young as seven, and they've asked me questions like, "Jay, uh, why why do people do this? Why do people do that?" And I can't I can't answer them. And it's so it's so saddening to think that that's where our society is going. And I always say. If you want to change a generation, change the kids because mm. they are the next generation. And if we're not teaching them the right things, the right principles and values, 
and what's really right, then we'll lose all the kids. We'll lose them and we'll, our society will be a lot worse. Mm. Yeah. Spot on. It's, um, how do we get onto this? <laughs> I don't know. So that good. Was, um, wow. What a crazy story. I'm, I'm curious about going back to what you wanted to be when, when you grew up. What did you actually see yourself doing? Um, if you asked anyone in my family when I was in all through elementary school, um, I wanted to be a princess mom was what I would say. And then in middle school, I think I wanted to be a teacher. In high school, I wanted to be a doctor. That's what I went to college thinking I would do. I wanted to work in um, the NICU in the hospital. So for um, like premature babies. Mm. And I did that. That was kind of what I was hoping for, for about a year and a half in college. And then decided it wasn't for me. And I switched to a communications degree with a business minor. So summarize, I've never really known what I wanted to do when I grew up. I've never had like a dream really. Mm. That's, that's fascinating because I know for me, and once again, I know this is about you, but I, when I was eight years old, I wanted to be a filmmaker, but my life has completely spun in directions that I never thought I'd actually go. So at one stage, I wanted to be a nurse. Then I went off to business college. I wanted to go to film school. That didn't happen. And I had all these dreams and ambitions. And yet I ended up in real estate last year. I ended up in after school care. Ended up in, in hospitality and real estate. Uh, yeah, I, I went around and did all these, all these careers and then never really knew apart from film, what I really wanted to do. So it's not kind of like I was aimless a bit, but it was interesting mm-hmm. in the way that I ended up getting to this point because I, I got a business degree as well. Mm-hmm. And I had one failed business, didn't, didn't work out. And then now I'm doing this and it's almost like, well, how in the world did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, does this feel like it's fulfilling your filming itch or a little bit or not quite 100% like it's weird because I'm talking to people that I never thought I'd ever have the opportunity to actually speak to and Mm -hmm. going from being a shy person to now talking to people like yourself it's almost like wow (laughs) where so cool It's so cool to see. I mean, if you told me that I'd be here even two and a half years ago, I would never believe you. So how did you get to being here? What's the story? Um, honestly, a big part of it is who I'm engaged to because he went on a TV show when he was 25 and, um, he's just the best and everyone, America fell in love with him and, then I got to fall in love with him. And um, that kind of changed my trajectory, but in like the best way possible. And um, a lot of it was being smart with my money when I first graduated from college, because uh, my first two jobs were in sales and I saved almost every penny that I had. And so when I realized I didn't want to be in sales anymore, I was able to quit my job and say, I'm going to give myself two months to kind of figure it out. And in those two months, um, my friend reached out to me about SweatNet and kind of all 
took off from there and I was able to do that and work on like a social media brand in quotations for myself. And um, then from there, I've been able to start a whole other website where I get to speak to the vulnerability part of women and kind of do that on the side. And now I'm back in school. So I'm just all over the place, but I was able to do all those things. Um, I guess first, because I have a partner who encourages me and um, believes in me and encourages me to take risks, which I'm not a risk taker. Mm. And then I also was, I guess, wise enough to make sure that I was okay before I stepped into all of these different opportunities. Now we'll get to who you're engaged to later <laughs> on, but I'm curious about you went into sales. Now, yeah. did you like sales and why did you leave sales? I did not like sales. I went into sales because it promised me the best paycheck as a communications major. Yes. And that was, <laughs> <laughs> see? I have a feeling. <laughs> yes. And like when you're graduating from college and you're like, oh my gosh, these are all the bills that I have to pay in two months. Like, yeah, I'm going to get the highest paying job I can. And like when money's on your mind, nothing else really matters until six months in and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not a salesperson. Like I can't look at you and tell you that this is better when there's something better out there, no matter what, I just can't do it. So yeah, sales wasn't for me and I just couldn't do it anymore. It was a life sucking career for me. Some people are amazing at it and like love it and love the feeling of making a sale, but I never got that like high after making a sale. So it was never, it, was, it just wasn't a good fit. I, I know the feeling. Uh, was it commission only? Yeah, well, it was a really, really small base salary. Yeah. So just enough to like pay rent and then everything else was commission. They sort of entice you with the, the base salary and say, look, if you get X, Y, and Z in the amount of sales, then you can earn a large amount. But then they don't tell you how long you have to be there in order to actually <laughs> make the amount of sales. and how hard it's going to be to actually make a sale to begin with and yes. the amount of dishonesty that goes on, uh, with sales, it's, it's not right. And like I was, um, my, my family said that I could sell a fridge to an Eskimo and mm -hmm. I, I literally was like, okay, cool. How am I going to do that? First and foremost, I went and got this one, one sort of career, uh, it was funny because it was commission only and they gave you a one week training and that one week training was learning this script. So I learned the script. I was top of the class, very good at it. And then the first day they tell me, okay, you're hired. They make it seem like if you don't learn the script, if you're not good, you're going to be fired. You're not going to make it. And I wanted the money. So I'm like, I need the money desperation. So I'm like, I did the best I could got there first day they're like you got to go out to a whoop whoop walk the street and sell this product and i was like i've got to spend my own money money i don't have in the hopes that i'm going to potentially sell this product and then i'm going to get commission of what like a hundred bucks and you guys walk away with the rest yeah mm -hmm. no walked out of the door didn't come back <laughs> <laughs> Um, I know it, 
yeah, I've been there. <laughs> it was it was a crazy roller right crazy roller coaster ride. Then I ended up in real estate. Funny funny thing. Um, and I ended up making my boss a millionaire, and I walked away with no no money financially, but I walked away with uh, relationships, and mm. that that to me was the most important thing is relationships and the value that you bring to people's lives. It's not about money. I mean, money has its place in society and I've never been the one to chase money, never had a great deal of money. I've always been wise with my money, but yeah, it's just, I got to do what I feel is right and my integrity what I believe in is most important to me, not what my boss tells me to do, which is a hard thing. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, I'm going off a tangent again. It's very <laughs> No, I love it. Very good. Um, <laughs> so for those people who don't know, who are you engaged to and why is he, you could say, a celebrity and how did he become a celebrity to begin with? <laughs> I am engaged to Ben Higgins and he was the bachelor on the TV show on ABC, um, I guess five years ago now. So I know y'all have the bachelor in Sydney too. Yeah. We idolize him for some reason. I don't know why. (laughs) That's how it is in America as well. So very similar. (laughs) Why is that though? Why, why do we idolize people on the bachelor? It's an interesting thing. I'm curious. I don't know. I wasn't on the show. So I don't fully like, I still don't fully understand it. And Ben's explained it to me, but the idolization, I really think it's almost like escapism of it's, it's fun to just watch someone else on TV. And it's fun to know that it's real too. Mm. And so like, really don't know how it's going to play out. Cause lots of times like scripted TV, I feel like you can guess what's going to happen because it had to come from someone's brain. But this is just like, who knows? It's two people that you can't predict or however many people. Mm. I don't know, but it is, it's super entertaining. I, I haven't, I put, I have a confession. I personally don't watch the bachelor, <laughs> but I, I, I do know people that have been on it. So yeah. How, how did you actually meet Ben then? Because if he was on the bachelor, mm-hmm. it, did he find someone on there or, or no? Yes, he did. And they were engaged and then um, they ended up breaking up. And I guess actually probably two years ago this month, he was staying in a hotel in Nashville and I was living here in Nashville and I was at a hockey game and the hockey arena here is across the street from the hotel. And he had wanted to see who was playing in the hockey game. So he searched the arena on Instagram and I had just tagged that I was there. And so he saw my photo on Instagram and I didn't have any Uh, followers or anything, but I just happened to tag my location and he saw it. And so he contacted you via Instagram. Yes. He slid in the DMs. (laughs) Uh, That's, that's great. So this is, this is a fascinating story. So what ended up happening after that? Was it like instant attraction? Did you know who he was? So I saw that someone with a blue check mark and however many followers had messaged me. And I was like, how in the world did this person find me? 
and my mom has watched the show. And so she recognized him and his name. And she was like, we just got to figure out how this guy found you. And I was like, well, I'm not slick. Like, I don't know how to flirt on Instagram. So I like rounded up my whole family and I was like, okay, let's like message this guy back. So I have two brothers and my little brother was helping me come up with the right things to say to like keep him interested. And <laughs> then it, eventually I found out how he found my profile. And, um, we talked on the phone like three days after just text messaging and then FaceTimed. And then two weeks later, I flew out to see him. This is a, a, a awesome story. So what actually, <laughs> what actually attracted you to him? Like what kept you engaged? So our first conversation um, where we talked on the phone, he was leaving a church service and asked me a question about generosity. And I was like, Oh man, I remember it being a hard question. And if I had like typed the answer, it wouldn't have come off. Right. So I sent him one of those voice text messages and then we talked on the phone. And so our first phone call already was kind of like more deep and, um, it kind of like got, I felt like I could already tell the kind of guy he was. And I was 23 and he was 29 the first time he messaged me. And so I was used to like conversations with 22 or 23 year old guys. And all of a sudden I have this wise like guy telling me about his heart. And there's an immediate attraction to that of just like, whoa, this guy's different. He's, got something that like, I really want to know more about. And also he's like really cute. So that helps. <laughs> so like have a, a guy that's older, sort of be more wise and have a deeper conversation with him. Uh, not at all. Actually, I've always been drawn to like, just being around older people. And I've, I mean, the cliche of I'm an old soul, but I genuinely am. And so I always kind of had a feeling I'd end up with someone a little bit older than me. And um, he's such a goofball that we're kind of like the same anyways. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> because I I know for me that I've always been the one person to sort of hang out with older people. And mm -hmm. If you, if you were to know my story, it'd make a lot of sense, like why I hang out with older people. And I've always, like when I speak to people that are younger than me, that are, that are girls, they're like, where's this coming from? Like we're having a deep and, com deep and meaningful conversation with, with you, Jay. I'm not good at small talk. Like no. I, I suck at it. And I got to have this deep and meaningful connection because that's where the value lies. It's like, okay, what are you really about? Let me ask you the tough questions and then we'll see where that goes. <laughs> and if you yeah. can't answer the tough questions, then, well, what's the, what's the point? I'm going to, I'm going to help you anyway to yeah. get a better understanding of it. But then there's no real connection, so to speak on that mm -hmm. level. So I'm curious because he, you mentioned that he went to church. So is, is Ben a Christian and are you a Christian as well? Yes, we are both Christians. Were you brought up in a Christian household? I was. I was brought up in a Christian household and I went to a really, really small private Christian school, um, kindergarten all the way through high school. And then when I went to college, I kind of like 
forgot everything. And then in college is when I say I really became a Christian because it became like, I stepped away from the rules of religion and it became mm-hmm. a relationship with someone that I believe loves me and wants the best for me. And so that's kind of when it changed for me. Um, and Ben's story is super similar to that. So, yes. So I had seen like people with a lot of Bible verses in their profiles and I was like, I guess like that's something that we do if we are Christians now. And so I just wanted one that if people went to my profile and they looked it up, they would be like, hmm, I can relate to that. And like then want to maybe relate to me. And so I put that in my profile probably like, I don't even know, seven years ago, six years ago. And it's just kind of stayed because when people ask me about it, like what you're doing right now, I can be like, I mean, you can't argue with rejoice always. And if that's your first time opening the Bible and that's what you see, you're like, hmm, this isn't quite as scary as I thought it was going to be. Maybe I'll look into this thing a little bit more. Mm. But it also is a great reminder for me if, you know, if someone says something mean about my Instagram or mean about whatever it is, it's like, well, let's just remember that we're here to rejoice and it's never as serious as you think it is. Yeah. Keep on smiling because... If I had a choice to brown or smile, then I'd choose to smile because it's so much better. <laughs> Less muscles too. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's always it's always fascinated me that 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 part of it. Like and yet we 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 often frown more than we do smile. It's, yeah. We always, we, I don't know if you've ever gone to the shop and just seen people like in the mm-hmm. shop and you see the countenance on their face and you see if there's any joy inside. Because a joyful person will just be smiling most of the time. Like my yeah. my natural countenance, it when I go like that, it kind of looks very serious. But then mm-hmm. when I start smiling, it's like I'm actually I'm really happy. Like I'm I'm joyful. Don't mm-hmm. so yeah. Anyway, um, how has your faith played a role with everything that you do currently today? Um, I think that I do the parts of my life that make money. So provide me the means to live so that I can do the parts of my life that provide me with a purpose. Mm. And I think that that has really changed over the years where it used to be for, I, I touched on earlier, you know, forget the purpose and focus on just making a living and going about your day and um, being successful in the world's eyes. And that's really flipped for me the closer I've grown in my faith and surrounding myself with the right people and realizing that, no, like this should be a means to survive, but let's remember the bigger purpose and what what will people remember about me whenever I'm gone and it's not going to be like the car or the house or the bag or whatever. It's going to be how I made them feel and the, um, I guess just the impact I have on them. So it's changed a lot of where I'm at now. My mindset. You jumped, you jumped ahead. That was going <laughs> to be one of my last questions to you. Oh, uh, it. That was my legacy question. Um, oh. you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> So you've already answered what kind of legacy you want to leave on this mm-hmm. earth, but I've got uh, quite a few more questions for you. Uh, we've got time. Let's just say a few more questions, not a quite a few. Uh, what okay. would you say has been the biggest lesson that Ben has taught you in your life that you hold dear? 
Um, oh gosh. He's taught me a lot about communication and not just between he and I, but the way that we communicate with other people and putting them first mm -hmm. um, and kind of getting uncomfortable with that and making sure that everyone around you feels good before you, you check in on yourself. And that can be a great thing or it can also be a really dangerous thing. There's like two sides to it where you neglect yourself so much that you wear yourself out. But I think that the idea of like, just, I sometimes will get so in my head and I'll forget to check in on the people that matter to me. And then next thing I know, I haven't talked to someone in months and months and months. And he's really good about reminding me to check in with others. And then also to like actually speak my mind. I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, um, but I'm a type nine, which is a peacemaker. So I tend to not want to like confront people or um, really say what I'm thinking. And he challenges me in that, which I appreciate. I'm curious about that. What What is that Enneagram thing? It's like a personality test. And um, I think it's, I could be wrong. I think I'm wrong that it's like religion based, but it's used really widely in churches and other places. And um, it's, it's really an interesting test. You should take the test. I think you'd be into it. Yeah. But um, I'm a type nine. It's a scale of one to nine. And so I'm type build the peacemaker. So very non-confrontational, go with the flow. Um, not great for communicating, but. And what's a, what's a one? <laughs> oh gosh. The only numbers I can tell you are a nine and a four because Ben's a four. And so we talk about it a lot. And then the seven is the enthusiast, but I don't know what a one is. Ah. I need right. to do more research before I go ahead and talk about this. <laughs> a four is someone that is more, I guess, outspoken and things. Four is individualist. Ah. So you, um, oh gosh, it, there's so much that goes into it. I don't want to misspeak because people are really passionate about this. <laughs> um, I've never heard of this before. This is, this is great. So where can someone find this test to do? I, I've personally just Googled Enneagram test and it'll come up and there's like different links of it. It's like any personality test where you can do like the 10 minute version or the hour long, like really in depth one. Um, and I've done it a couple of times because I'm always skeptical of these and I've always gotten a nine. So I feel very confident in it. This, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've done like personality tests before and I'm like, this is all hocus pocus. This is not, yep. this is not legit. Like I can't, I can't possibly be this. But um, I'm fascinated by this. I'm going to do it later. <laughs> do it and see if you relate to it. I'd be interested to know what you are. Um, I'll, I'll let you know what I am. Um, okay. And this is, this is more fun questions. So mm -hmm. what's your favorite food? Ooh, chocolate chip cookies, warm chocolate chip oh, cookies. If you are over in Australia, there's a, there's a company that I'm – I'm good friends with his, his name is Chris. He, he owns a, a place called thick cookies. I'll message you is, um, the Instagram account, but yeah. these cookies are insane. Like, Does he uh, I can ask. <laughs> I wonder how good a cookie would taste if it was mailed all the way from Australia. It probably end up stale. I, I don't know. <laughs> By the time it got there. 
or the customs, they might, might not pass customs when they see it. <laughs> they might go ahead and eat it for themselves. Yeah, possibly. But <laughs> the, these cookies, like they're based on like New York style cookies, but mm. they're, they're big and all these flavors. I'm getting some tonight. So that um, sounds amazing. Not to make you jealous at all. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Now I'm going to have to get some tonight too. <laughs> What would you say is your favorite book? Ooh, I love this question. My favorite book, um, my favorite book is The Sun Also Rises. It's Ernest Hemingway. He's like my favorite author. I just get lost in his words. Um, but I read all the time. I've, I love to read all different types of books. I could have a favorite of every genre, but that's my go-to. I've got a, a ever-growing collection of books um, in my place, because I'm an avid reader as well. Uh, one of the books that I'm reading at the moment, I don't know if you know Lewis Howes. No. Uh, he's got the School of Greatness, and he wrote two New York Times best-selling books. One of them, The School of Greatness, and the second one is The Mask of Masculinity. And I'm reading that one at the moment. It is a fascinating book. Really so fascinating. Oh yes. Like, okay, adding it to my list. There's nine different masks that a man will wear at any given stage of his life. And I've found myself wearing, like I'm only up to mask, I think six or seven. But every other mask that I've read currently, he just breaks it down. Like there's stoic mask, there's the, uh, the aggressive mask. There's, I'm not doing it justice, but you, you got to read and then get Ben to read it as well because I think everyone needs to read it. It just makes a lot of sense. Um, it's very, very helpful too. Now, this is one of my all time favorite questions. It always stumps people. Um, what is your favorite film, your favorite actor and the last movie that you watched? Okay, cool. I can tell you my favorite actor or actress is Julia Roberts or Denzel Washington. I approve. Those are my two favorites. Um, my favorite movie Gosh, I'm not like a major movie watcher, but I always watch Pretty Woman with my mom, which is a Julia Roberts film. And I, whenever I was in college, I'd come home and just like get on the couch with my mom and watch it. So I have great memories associated with that movie. And I watch it every time it's on. Um, the last movie I watched was Hamilton. Hamilton. Yes. Is it on Netflix? It's on Disney Plus. It's actually a broad, it's a play, and then they made it into a movie and they just released it. So I Is watched that it with uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda? Yes. Ah, I've heard a lot about this and yet I haven't seen it. You've got to. This is my other recommendation for you. You have okay. to watch the movie. It's so good. I loved it. So, what's it about, just in, in simple terms? It's about Alexander Hamilton, who was a political figure in the early years of U.S. And um, it talks a lot about like the founding of the United States, but it's all set to like rap and hip hop music. Fascinating. That's, it's really interesting. Now I'm, now I'm curious. Okay, I've, I've added it to my list that's ever growing. Um, I, love it. I love this question because I always get, something new that I need to go and watch uh, from someone. It's like, I need, I need to hurry up. <laughs> but 
My last question for you, Jessica, is why do you think it is important for people to share their story? Um, it's important for people to share their story so that someone else can feel less alone. Love that response. So good. I feel like that's a great way to sort of end our conversation. Jessica, I really, really appreciate your time today and sharing your story, even though I probably talk more than you did. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure, man. Absolute pleasure. Um, really keen to actually get into your story and, and how you got started in all this. But before we do that, I, I usually have one question that I mm -hmm. love asking people to start off with, and, and that is, what does success look like to you? Wow, what does success look like to me? Um, I mean, I, it's funny. Uh, let me tell you a quick story first. Mm. Uh, I was at a wedding uh, a little over a year ago, and a guy that I had known for years, uh, a real go-getter, um, kind of cornered me at one point, and he had said, uh, he was kind of just talking. He's like, man, I was talking to my wife, and I realized that, you know, I'd always wanted success, and I have – uh, more, more, he's like, I had more money. I have more money. I have time. I have a family. He's like, um, I realized I had reached success. And I said, that's interesting. I said, why do you feel that way? And he said, uh, because I have everything I ever dreamed of and, uh, but I'm going to keep going. And I was like, well, that's intriguing. If you really break it down, uh, it felt like whatever he was defining success by was, a, was very material and, uh, you know, the family part was unique and, and interesting, but the, the material part of it was um, it just didn't process well to me because I didn't understand how and when you define that you have enough to call it successful. And so there then to me has to be a better answer to that. And, I, and so when I started thinking about it and really sitting down to figure out what success looks like, um, what I think success looks like is when you get to a place in your life um, at any point in time that you are more focused on the needs of others than you necessarily need to be on the needs of yourself. And I think that's about as much as I would define it by is when I stop thinking about how much I can get, how much I can gain, um, what boxes I've checked to consider myself to have been well, to have done a job that's well done. Um, then I think I'll be able to focus on others more because quite frankly, like if I had the, if I had a dream of the best job in the world, uh, Tom, I'll quote Tom Brady for a second, but uh, it kind of goes back to, you know, he got his fifth Super Bowl ring and he at one point had said, I always thought it was going to feel a little bit better than it does. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to look at that at holistically and think about that in our lives. If you are reaching for material items, I think it's always going to unsatisfy you. So I, I guess success to me just looks almost like a satisfied, being satisfied enough to love others well. I love that, man. And, and the saying is also very true that you have to be selfish to yourself a little bit so you can be selfless to others. So you can know, like, for example, you mentioned there that you didn't really know what success was until you thought about it. That's you being selfish so you can figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, hang on a minute, it's actually me being a servant. And it's like, I'm a Christian brought up like that. And I believe the ultimate, ultimate form of success is being in service to others 
rather than being in service to just you because that's what Christ did ultimately. He exemplified that. Uh, everything that he ever did was for others, not for anything to do with himself, just giving. And I love how you equated success to that, man. So that's awesome. Um, I want to ask you as well, how did, how did your life, like did you always want to be a television star? How did you grow up? What were some of the lessons that you were taught by your parents? We'll go right back. Yeah, I'm an only child. Um, come from a, some just true, terrifically loving parents. And so that's one benefit that I've had in life. Uh, no, I can't say I've always dreamed of being a TV personality. Mm. I, uh, in fact, I, I don't even know if when I was the bachelor, if, uh, if I really still understand fully how that happened. I do, though, remember always wanting a platform. Mm. Uh, I've all, I mean, I used to get in trouble in school for being, uh, too talkative, not exactly too opinionated. I just talk a lot. I think I liked, uh, I like, I liked attention. I think I liked having ears listening. I think I liked being involved. Um, I say it now maybe because I've been on there, stand it. Like I always enjoy still to this day, having a seat at the table, being invited in, being welcomed in. Um, and so, you know, I didn't know that that was going to play out like it did being The Bachelor. Um, in fact, really none of my life ever aligned to do that. I was working a kind of a minimum wage uh, software job, uh, writing user manuals. And then a lady signed me up. I was young. I was single. It worked out. I went on the show. That worked out. And then I was asked to be The Bachelor. And so, there was really like, even then, if you look at like, the signs. I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody was going, Oh, that's, he's going to be the next dude. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I'm glad, I'm kind of glad it's the way it worked out because what it did, it, it kind of allowed me to process it. I had to process it, what it meant and why I was there later on. And, and when I was in it, I was just in it. Uh, so no, that's not it. I was raised in Indiana. It's a small little Midwestern state, uh, in a small little town. Uh, I'd say very simple um, and uh, and yet beautiful because everybody in this town knows each other, um, which has its benefits and its downsides. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now, you know, then I moved to Denver after college and, and that's where I am still today. So what did you always envision yourself being like when you grew up? I think every kid sort of envisions yeah. being something. What was that for you? You know, I think I put a lot of labels on myself. And so there's a period of time that I thought I was going to be an athlete. Mm. I'm, a, I'm a pretty big dude. I'm, you know, I, at the time I was like 6'4", 210 pounds and uh, could throw uh, an American football around pretty well. And then I blew my knee out twice. Done. Uh, and in a moment's notice, sports is over. And... So, you know, would I have ever actually been an athlete? I don't really know. Probably not. I wasn't fast enough, but it was like what I thought I was going to do. It was what in my head, what I wanted to be. So at that point, then I kind of went through a, a season of, of deep depression and kind of uh, feeling like my identity had been ripped away and I was still living in the identity of being an athlete yet wasn't an athlete any longer. 
So it sent me down a, a pretty brutal spiral of uh, a lot of like uh, uh, opiates and uh, pain medication of uh, a lot of addictions, a lot of just like uh, ways to just numb any pain. And um, I lived in that for a while. And then, and then there's a moment I still remember it. I call it my really like my big first come to Jesus moment was uh, standing in the mirror, looking at myself and like, I was in college at the time. And I looked at myself in the mirror. And I, I don't know if anybody's ever done this. I, I really don't recommend it too often. It really freaks you out. But if you ever look at yourself in the eyes in the mirror, like if you ever take a few moments and just stare into your soul through your eyes, mm. um, I remember doing that for whatever reason because I don't do that often. Um, and going, um, you're nowhere near the man that you want to be, and you're nowhere near the man that God intended you to be. And I wasn't, and I needed that moment. Uh, and so then to kind of fast forward, what I wanted to be from that point on was, uh, I, I think the only way I could say, I don't, I didn't know if I had like a direction. What I really wanted to do was do something that mattered. I want to do something that made me feel like I was, uh, I had neglected, I think the calling on my life and neglected the, the gift that is life for so long that all I wanted to do at that point was try to figure out what I can invest my life into that would allow me to feel like I was doing something up that was a part of a greater kingdom. I don't think I knew what that was, but that was it. That was probably where I lied. And that's where I sat in. Now, um, there was still disappointment, right? I, I think you grow up and your family, your friends, the loved ones tell you, you can be anything you want to be, and you're going to do amazing things in this world. And at that point I hadn't really done much. I hadn't really done anything amazing. And so there was still the, even through that process, I don't want to say it was all of a sudden this aha, aha moment was like, oh, everything's going to work out. No, it was still this like, what does this look like? How, what work do I need to put in? Who do I want to be? Who does God want me to be? And then it, it started the, I guess, the uh, the chipping away at some of the pieces that I'm still trying to chip away at today. Mm. And I, I believe God does that for a specific reason, because life's all about learning and growing. And I think we reach those moments in our life where, we look in the mirror and we think, is this who I really am? Is this where I need to be in my life? Is this where God wants yeah. me to be? And I think God always, I was speaking to someone the other day about this, about our purpose and, and really knowing where God wants us in our life. And I think that we're never not in the center of God's will. We are exactly where he wants us to be in that specific place and time. It's us that always says, I'm not where I need to be. Or where, or where I think God needs me to be. And that sort of gets us to a place of moving forward. And that's, I guess, what God wants us to do as well, is to move forward and, and become better. Mm -hmm. And like sometimes we need to go through the hardship in order to get to the, the, the good parts in our life. And um, I'm curious, man, like you were in this state of, of depression and you mentioned there for a moment that you weren't, man that God intended you to be. And I'm curious, what do you think a real man is in today's society? Uh, a real man. I think it's a man that desires unity. Um, so a human that desires unity. I think it's a human that desires um, to love others well, like sacrificially well. Uh, and I think it's somebody that's vulnerable. 
that can look at another man in the face and say, man, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm weak. I'm confused. I'm underqualified. I'm whatever. You know, I think I don't, I don't know a lot, but what I'm seeing as I get older is that uh, we connect best with every generation through our shared pains and our shared struggles and our shared failures. I don't think we're going to be able to connect with others unless we start talking about those shared pains and struggles and failures. And so what I really am drawn to and, and the men in my life that are around me are men that I know will invest their life experience in me through a connecting point. And I think that connecting point is saying, man, I'm, I've lived years of my life feeling purposeless, shame-filled, joyless and then allowing us to work together to get there and that's what i think a man looks like today i think it's a man that can do that i also think it's it's i think a man is somebody that's you know driven to like passionately driven to be to to experience life to see beauty to witness the world around them to slow down to take a second and look left and right at what's going on i think that's another sign of just a good solid mature human um but yeah maybe like maybe the most like uh radical word i'd use to describe men today would be vulnerable mm. i like that i think there's not many men because i was conditioned growing up mm-hmm. believe and what i saw the men don't get vulnerable men don't cry mm-hmm. they don't uh share their feelings that's a bad thing Stay yeah away from it but nowadays it seems to be the complete opposite because there's a lot of men that are hurting on the inside, but they don't want to show it. Mm-hmm. And I think vulnerability is, is taken for granted a lot because there's that fear associated with being vulnerable of what people are going to think of me. Mm-hmm. And it's a comparison syndrome, you know, like when I look at somebody else, they look like they have everything together. So if I was to share to somebody else that I don't have everything together, then what are you going to think of me? But mm-hmm. the amazing thing is when you are vulnerable, you realize that no one has everything together. Mm-hmm. We all have our inner demons, you can call them, our, our own struggles, our own failures, and our own things that we need to learn. And I think the best part of life, going back to the success part, is just being in service to helping others. And that's what I love about stories. And so I love about your stories. You're being vulnerable here for a moment and sharing, okay, this is what I believe a man is. That's, that's the core of, of a person. It's the belief. And I think the belief needs to be um, shared a lot more that this is what a real man is. So for those men that are listening, it's okay to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. There's, there's too many, like I'm, I'm passionate about mental health then because I have been through it. I know what it's like to be depressed. I was 14 years old, depressed. And then more recently, uh, last year, I was depressed. And, you know, losing your identity and I went through a pretty difficult breakup and lost who I was for pretty much most of last year. And it's getting to that point of understanding. It's like looking in that mirror again. And it's like, well, who are you, Jay? 
who are you really? What do you really want? And how are you going to move forward from this? I think a similar thing, except without the breakup, but just the injury for you, that happened. Mm -hmm. And it's very true for other people as well. The same thing happens, but it's knowing that it's okay to go to somebody and share that makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. No, you're spot on. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, Ben, moving forward. So you you got a job in minimum wage, you're working Mm -hmm. there, and then someone comes to you and asked you if you wanted to be on The Bachelor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was sitting at my desk and uh, the marketing head of the company came and said, hey, uh, I love this Bachelor show. You're the only person, because my company is a little older, uh, that I know that's single, that's out here, uh, that could probably like have the time to do it. Which I don't know if that's a compliment or not. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> he said, if I sign you up and they call you, would you answer? I said, yeah, I would, I would definitely answer. And so she did. And a week later they called, um, and asked for a bunch of stuff, pictures, videos, interviews. And six months later, I was walking into the mansion in Los Angeles. Um, no, there wasn't, there's not nothing like sexy or like, uh, fairy tale to it. It's like very much a phone call, them saying you're on the show, me thinking that I have no clue what's, what's about to happen. And then being on a show, uh, a show now that I talk about every day, somehow, some way. <laughs> so yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to focus too much on you being on the bachelor. What I do want to ask yeah. you though is what was the biggest lesson that you learned being on all these reality TV shows? Man, it's a ton. The biggest lesson. So like the, uh, if I think about my biggest, it'd be the lesson that's changed my life the most. Um, you know, not to be cliche and like go off of your, your theme here, but I do think most times I talk about the show, the biggest one of that is that everybody does have a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, uh, a, some, you know, I grew up in a small town in Indiana that's, I don't even know, 90 some percent white. That is, uh, the unemployment rate is below 0.2%. Uh, that is a very wealthy, like healthy small town in terms of the economy. And it's also at one point in the time, not that long ago, it was the Methodist capital of the world. So it is incredibly Christian. Mm. Um, I say all this to say like diversity is not something that Warsaw, Indiana prides itself on. And what I realized was that my worldview was very small, that I was very much stuck in my ways, that I was scared to be wrong, to be questioned, to question what I had learned as I grew up, my question what I had been taught in school and church and my family environment, that I was, I was living a very easy, simple, straightforward life. And what the show taught me was that everybody has a story everybody's story matters. And that story has directly affected for the most part, why they respond to things and who they are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that everybody's story really matters that it's a, that this, your story might be uh, for me as a, as somebody that does believe that Jesus exists, 
your story might be the one thing that points you and points others to the most truth-filled part of Jesus. Um, it's the one experience that you have in your life that nobody can argue with if it's true or not. Mm. Um, the second is that stories shape us. And my assumptions about people, my assumptions about people groups, my assumptions about culture uh, are all wrong until I start to listen and hear those stories and allow that to shape how I see people and why and what I believe in people. Mm. I, I, th- I know that that would be my biggest lesson because I don't think without the show, I mean, I've lived 25 years of my life never having to ask anybody about their story. Mm. And the show forced me to do that. And then show me the beauty in doing that. Mm. I love it. Even though it's cliche, it's so true. And that's what I thrive off as well is people's stories and, and learning from what they've been through. And I think that's, we can all relate to some way or another mm-hmm. people's stories. So stories can either build up or they can tear down. Like there's, so the, the question really is towards leadership. And that's what I want to ask you as well. Like, how have you become such a good leader in your relationship with Jessica, in your relationship, in your business? What does that mean to you? Good, real leadership. Uh, You asked me a good softball question because I just answered this yesterday. Um, (laughs) So I was thinking about this. So if, if this comes too quickly... Uh, you know, why? Um, I think in the same breath, I think a good leader um, assumes never and listens first. And I think the sign of the best leaders and something I'm still working on, but I I think the sign of the best leaders are the ones that show the most empathy. They don't have to, to not have a backbone. They don't have to not follow what they see and feel and believe is right. They've been put in leadership because of probably their critical thinking and their ability to process and strategize. But when it comes to cultural enhancements in a business, cultural enhancements in your relationships, cultural enhancements in your friendships, um, I think empathy is vitally important and incredibly underrated in leadership. Um, Maybe the biggest burden of a leader is stewarding the fact that you are carrying the stories of one person, 10 people, 100 people, 100,000 people, that those their stories, you're directly associated with them and you're helping form at some level. And so um, it's a beautiful burden. So it's one that uh, I don't take lightly. I don't. But uh, but I think it is the differentiator between a great leader and an average leader is are, are you empathetic towards the stories of your business, of your relationships, of your people that are in your network? I love that. I love how you pointed it to the stories. That's, that's mm-hmm. so cool. I never never heard leadership described that way before. Oh, cool. I think well, that's, that's good. I always like to have something new. I'm trying. Yeah. To- <laughs> that's awesome, man. Like I had someone once tell me this is what changed my life with with leadership he he sits down with me he looks me in the eyes and he's like jay everyone is a leader the difference is you can either be a good one or it can be a bad one Mm. and i was like man (laughs) 
it's like a massive challenge. Like when it hits you, it hits you. And that hurt, that hit me. Like <laughs> that hit me to the yeah. core, the empathy part, relating it to the story. That's so cool. And what did you say? A good leader listens first and then what? Listens first and, and then decides on their response. So you, you show, uh, you know, I think to summarize it, like it's empathy, it's listening to then relate. And if you can relate, then you can guide. And uh, I think we listen first to gather as much information as possible. Mm. Ask a thousand questions so that you can make sure that your assumptions um, are never the reason you're reacting because your assumptions typically are uneducated for the most part. They're, they're not the full story. I don't, I don't see a lot of time in, in human history where assuming something has done many people well. I think when we see it, we, we ask and, and back up our thoughts, our feelings, and become educated in all scenarios, big and small. Mm. Love it, man. Like my brain's going absolutely nuts. Like I'm trying to focus <laughs> on, uh, on my next bit. But that, that's great. Um, cool. you, you mentioned there in, in the beginning that, you know, you brought up in a small town and very Methodist, very Christian based. Uh, what does faith mean to you and how has God made himself real in your life? Yeah. What does faith mean to me? Uh, well, personally, I don't see, uh, selfishly, I would say that uh, I don't see a point to this whole thing unless there is a God that exists. Mm. Uh, and that that God loves us. I get the love part because one, uh, I have to take into account, that's how I was raised, that there is a God of love, of unity. Um, but with that being said, I also look at the world around me through the news, through the economy, through relationships, through networks, whatever. And I see that when love is at the center, empathy is at the center, understanding is at the center of sacrifice is at the center of kinship. Let's call it kinship mm. is at the center. Then, um, then things function at a lot higher level and they function in a lot more of a beautiful way, which I think pictures is a picture of God. When things are beautiful, then I have to believe uh, that that is a picture of the God who created beauty. Mm. Um, so that's kind of my selfish thoughts on on faith i also uh think i've thrown all my eggs in the basket uh you know if one day i find out that this god never existed i you know I, for me at least i gave it my best shot when i ask myself the question of why are we here what is this thing which i ask myself often um in fact in, in an hour and a half i'm going to counseling because that question has consumed me since i was a young kid is what is this all about why am i here is this meaningless, purposeless? Um, is this by accident? Mm -hmm. uh, those questions like consistently revolve in my mind. And I think when I ask those questions, there's only really one answer that uh, satisfies and that there is a purpose because we are a part of something. Mm -hmm. uh, we are in the midst of something. We are working towards something. We are united together in some way. Unity is a big word right now around the right uh with the movements and in, in the u.s especially with the black lives matter movement unity seems to be uh what everybody's crying for why uh you ask yourself if this is all meaningless why because humans need to love humans sure yes 
Um, because humans want to feel connected to humans. Yeah, sure. Uh, because everybody matters a hundred percent. Um, and is there a people group that's been suppressed and pushed aside? Definitely. And when we see that we need to show empathy and look left and right and say, how can we help no matter who it is? Mm. Uh, that's our calling. That's the good Samaritan is we don't walk by people who are hurting. We listen, we understand, we, we process. And then we, then we, we, we move forward, hopefully bringing as many people into the story as possible. Mm. And I, and I think if unity is such a calling and a desire of the human heart, um, then there has to be a reason why there has to be a motivation. Why there has to be something inside of us that says we are meant for something greater together. And, um, for me, the greater has to be God. So, um, that is what faith looks like to me. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I forget the second question. How has God made himself real in your life? Oh, well, I just mentioned a couple scenarios where I've seen, I think God at work. The other is, uh, um, any time in my life that I've desperately called out for God, mm. which don't get me wrong here. There's very actually few moments where I feel like a desperate, anxious, panic, despair, of I need something more. I need to know that I'm not the greatest thing out there. I need to know that there is something greater than I and my neighbor and my friends. Anytime that that has came from a place of like desire and need, he's shown up. Mm -hmm. And like in ways that I forget still at times that I will be life changed by and then move on and forget, but that God has shown up and I can't forget those times that God has shown up. I also think that I, uh, I also think I've, I've done a really bad job at recognizing God in the small things, um, in the birds of the air and the leaves on the trees and the snow that falls in the conversations with friends and the nights where we eat great food and drink great drink. And we chat and we talk life, the moments where, um, that I, I think I've overlooked too often and instead, I've always wanted the big home run hits from God, the ones that just wake you up. And, uh, and I'm starting to recognize that, that maybe uh, that's great and it's needed still at times, but maybe, just maybe, um, God is active and moving around me at this moment. And, and what does that look like when I recognize it? Mm. I love how you mentioned recognize God in the small things. I think we get to a place in, in life that we get so busy that we often forget that. And uh, it's always good to be reminded of that. So thank you for sharing that, man. And um, I know for my life, and I love how you mentioned that God makes himself known to you all the time, every time you've called out to him. And that's very, very similar to me and what's happened in my life. Uh, every single time that I've uh, been through hardship or been in, in incredible amounts of pain and I have like if I was to share you share with you like half the things that I've been through you'd be like what <laughs> but all the times that I've been in the hospital bed uh not very close to meeting God I've asked him why why firstly why am I here to begin with and what do you want me to do with this? I know this is for a reason because everything happens for a reason. 
because God orchestrated it. It's part of my purpose. It's part of my life. My purpose is not the destination. My purpose is part of the journey. And so when I come to realize that, then I can understand that God is sovereign. God knows best. I can trust him. I believe that he has a better plan for my life. I, I oftentimes we get impatient, Ben, and we think to ourselves, well, God hasn't worked what I thought he was going to work right now. So therefore, I'm going to try and do it myself. But then we always fall flat on our face or we don't appreciate it as much mm-hmm. because it's not when God's timing is right, that feeling of satisfaction, that it's second to none. And yeah. I've, I've noticed that in my own life is very similar to you. Every single time I've called out and asked God, I need your help. He's given his help. He's been there to comfort. He's been there to strengthen me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's sad for some people that don't actually have that basis of faith. They don't believe in God. And because he's, he's real, he's, he created everybody. He created the world. It's like trying to deny what's really there. People have done it all throughout history, even, even from the very beginning of time. You know, people try to deny what is good, what is right, what is true. And then what we're seeing with going back to unity, what we're seeing with the state of the world at the moment is people crave it, but yet they're running so far away from it. It's, it's sad to see at the same time. It's like we're going to create one group but not include everybody else. You know, like we talk about unity and what unity really looks like. It's, it's not just focusing on one particular group that has been a minority for such a long period of time. It's coming to a place of understanding that we are all human. We all bleed the same color blood. It's no different. The only thing that makes us different is our works. But it's going back to, I, I honestly think, Ben, that if we all got to a place of just stopping and being grateful for what we have, can you imagine how different the world would be? Hmm. Yeah. You said it. It's, we all crave unity, but uh, for whatever reason, we all also run from it. Um, hmm. And uh, it's a unique uh, paradox that I... Um, that I'm interested in, right? That I'm intrigued by, that it's confusing, I think, for many. I, I don't think I'm the only one out there going, okay, this is what I desire, yet I don't know how to get there. Mm. This is what I want, yet it scares me to what I'd have to give up to be in it. And that's where things get really interesting. That's where humans really start to get complex. Um, because then you bring in those things that you and I have talked about our pasts, our shames, our regrets, our uh, hurt. We start to have to bring those to the table and say, hey, you have a seat at the table, now so do I. Mm -hmm. And we can come together in something greater, whatever that looks like. Yeah, it's hard to do. 
And it's, uh, it's a journey and a battle worth fighting and advocating for and talking about and sharing and, and being attuned to. Um, the other problem is it's not a quick process. It'd be great if all of a sudden one day we can say, okay, today's the day we're just going to test this out. We're to all come together for one day. So let's give it a shot and see what happens and see if we like it or not. That doesn't happen. That's not going to happen. And so instead it's a, a it is a, um, a generational uh, molding and forming and cutting away and joining together that hopefully one day in our kids as kids, as kids, as kids can look at it and go, you know, we're better now than we were then. I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I probably won't be around for it. Mm. It's interesting to think about that. Yeah. Like, and I've had conversations and I love having conversations like this because it gets you, gets you thinking and it's real as well. Like mm. it's deep. And I think when we ask the, the deep questions, that's where the value lies. And that's where the, the personal nature and the connection actually lies too. Um, yeah. To be able to help people, you know, and I've, I've, yeah. My buddy and I used to call them hot tub talks because we used to get in uh, <laughs> my parents' hot tub and sit underneath the stars and like four of us dudes would go out there and we start talking about the stars and the galaxies and all of a sudden we're talking about life and death and mm. you never know where it's going to take you. That's what we call it and it feels like it now and they were always some of our best times. Mm. I didn't know where this conversation was going to go. I had a list of questions that are more like guiding questions. You know, I think mm. I've only asked like two of them. So. Mm. I like, I like where this is going. Now, I want to sort of shift it a little bit to relationships. Now, you've, you've been on a, basically a worldwide stage, you could say, and being known for the person to be on a relationship, be with, with someone on, on, a, on a show. But those, those relationships didn't work out. And now you're mm-hmm. with somebody else. You're now engaged to somebody else who I have spoken with and I can say she's honestly incredible. Yeah. She's and a winner. Mate. How did that happen? Like how did, tell me your side of the story. <laughs> it's wild, man. There's no good reason for it. I, uh, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, which is where Jessica lives. And, um, I stayed in a hotel there for a fundraiser we were doing and I saw a sports team checking into hotel lobby and I was like, I want to see what sports team that is. And so I, uh, there were people taking like pictures with this team. And I was like, Oh, somebody on Instagram had to have taken a picture and tagged the location already. I'll just look and see, and I'll find it that way. Well, so I got it to my hotel room. I looked at uh, the location I was staying at and it was right next to uh, a sports arena in Nashville where the hotel was. And the top picture that came up was Jessica's picture. And uh, I don't know why, maybe it was the most recently posted or something. And I saw it and I said, that girl is gorgeous. And, uh, and I was like, well, this is super creepy. Um, <laughs> I had no clue what to do with it. And so I just screenshot it because that's a lot less creepy is to have a random girl's picture on your phone. Yeah. Than to just yeah. And so I, uh, I held on to it for six months and, and kind of had forgotten about it. And six months later, I was uh, celebrating Thanksgiving and um, I was with my family and we'd all gone to bed and everybody gone to bed early. And, and I was up in my room and I was 
I, during the day I want to take pictures with my, my family and, uh, I'd ran out of storage space on my phone. And so I started cleaning out old pictures and I came across that picture of Jessica and I said, man, that girl's gorgeous. <laughs> so that point, cause I'd waited six months, it was now not as weird to message her. And so I messaged her on Instagram and I said, Hey, don't ask too many questions, but if you're interested, I'll tell you. And, um, two years later, almost we are, are happily engaged. Like I just, it's like the coolest thing ever. I, I literally didn't know that relationships could be um, as fun, as like free, as peace-filled. Now we're still like in the honeymoon phase, right? It's only been two years, but the foundations of who she is to me and what I want to be to her, I think are really solid. And so Instagram uh, was a good avenue for me to, to find her. How about that, right? Can it, Instagram's connecting couples. That's right, man. I don't know. It's cool. I love it. Uh, yeah, man. I've met so many amazing people on, on Instagram. And met when I met them in real life, it's like, this is awesome. You know, like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not complaining at all. Um, no. So how did you know that Jessica was the one for you as opposed to the others? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I think like logically, uh, I wanted to find somebody who, uh, would push me or support me to become a better man than I was without them. Um, at the, and I say that at the same time to say that, um, I don't think relationships should be restrictive. Um, I think there's boundaries, but, but I wanted to be free to be and be formed into and work towards that man that I was talking about in college. And, uh, and Jessica just really is my biggest supporter for me to become the best man possible without forcing me into it. Um, but, and it may be just my favorite word cause it's like the only one, like the only big word I know, but, um, I really also was, uh, I think I knew, uh, not only is she incredibly gorgeous, uh, inside and out and the way she treats her friends and her family and my family was just amazing and, you know, never a problem, but the empathy she showed to everybody was just incredibly sexy to me. Like so attractive. Like I was so romantically, um, into the empathy she would show others because, of her heart for them to be heard and to be seen and to be known. Mm. And I think that's really the moment when I started seeing that as a consistent theme and just like almost trusting, like when, if somebody would call me, um, there's a lot of girls, like women who work for generous and women would call me and confide in me. And there's a lot of times I don't know what the heck to say. Um, when I started to go, you know, who could talk to you about this is Jessica and like having just full confidence and strength that, and like, that she was going to do just a terrific job at it or at least care. Maybe she wouldn't have answers, but she just care is when I went, that's a part, like, that is my partner. Like that is my teammate. That is my, my friend. And, um, and then it was just like a really fun thing to just continue to fall in love with that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there was like a stepping stone, but for the most part, it was like, it was always known. It just wasn't always seen until, uh, I started to really get to know her. Mm. Were you looking for someone at the time you reached out to her? Yeah, I think so. 
I, I mean, I gotten pretty good being single too. I mean, uh, so have I, I. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had been in a pretty good, like steady, do my thing, live in my house, mow my lawn when I want, <laughs> hang out with my friends. Like I was pretty good at that. Um, so kind of, I mean, I think I was always intrigued by the idea of, of romance, especially coming off of the show and with the breakup from the show. And, but I also was kind of like, you know what, I'm good being single. And uh, Paul talks about that. And so I got a lot of confidence. Just like, I remember calling my mom up one day. Remember, I'm the only child. So my mom has one shot at grandkids. And uh, <laughs> you got to live up to it, man. <laughs> yeah. And I called her. I said, mom, I want you to know that you're going to have to be okay with me being single. And that you have to know that I'm like, I'm okay with it. Like, I'm good with it. And, uh, and I said that with like a crackly voice. I was like, I don't actually know if I'm not getting okay. okay. Um, but I got, I, I was pretty, I was pretty content. That's funny, man, because I feel like in many ways there's, there's sort of a bit of pressure on me. I've got two brothers, but I don't see my older brother getting married and I don't see my younger brother getting married either or having kids. So oh, yeah. they've all said to me, okay, Jay, you're it. You, <laughs> you, you give mum grandkids. And I'm like, yeah. oh, <laughs> thanks. Cool. <laughs> Is it? But I want kids. That's that's the that's the thing. Like I want to I want to be yeah. a dad one day, and got to find someone first. <laughs> that's the that's a good first step. That's a good yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but man, what's one one lesson that Jessica has taught you? Now I asked her a similar thing about you, and what she said was pretty interesting. I won't share it. You have to listen to the episode. But okay. uh, what is one lesson that you've you've learned from her in the last two years? Um, so many, I'd say one lesson romantically, uh, is, uh, is that like, I can come, uh, to, to Jessica and she asks this of me, um, not physically, but emotionally like naked and unashamed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think for me to walk into a room and if I'm like at my deep, this darkest moments and say, and, and tell her that, like, I know she in that moment has taught me um, to, to do that and not be scared of doing that around her. Mm -hmm. So like personally, um, I think because of that, what Jessica's taught me to do is become a better human. So like, yeah, that's about as big as compliments I can give her. She's just taught me to be, to be a better human because I can come to her with the most deepest of pains, confusions of anger and know that like, I'm not going to leave that conversation for the most part, feeling any type of shame. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want me to feel that shame. She wants me to feel like I'm who God meant me for me to be. You you'll have to listen to her her response. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil anything. She probably said something cool like, "Yeah, I don't know what she'd say." Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it was kind. Trust me, it was good. It was good, um, and yours was good too. So, cool. That, if that's a hint, <laughs> yeah. um, I haven't asked you about your current business. You've also got a podcast as well. Yeah. So I have probably about three more questions for you, if you don't mind. So I want to like touch on the business. So 
How did that get started? Definitely. I do have a meeting coming up in four minutes. Oh, okay. Okay. Never mind. So, Scratch that. We'll go okay. with the final question, which is the, my legacy question. Okay. So you've reached the age of 100 and your friends have put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how they got it all. We just did. We'll call it magic. And they've shown it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want the film to say and to show about your life? Um, I think what I wanted to say is that like I was uh, kind of going back to the beginning. What I, uh, I had a seat at the table that I, was, that, I, that I used this platform that all of us have show or not show that ever all of us have some type of platform to give more than I took and that people recognize, like felt that, that like I was, um, that I was, that I was always there to give where I could. Mm. Um, and I think if I could just see like a slideshow of, of those moments of some of the ripples of that, uh, I would say, well, like, well done. Um, so I, yeah, I, I just want to be, I want to be a part of stories, man. I, I just, I, I desire to be a part of my, of stories that I'm involved in, that others are involved in, that are redemptive, that are healthy, that are good. Um, I, I, I want to see a slideshow of some crazy stories. Mm. I love it, man. You're on the story box. Thank you for sharing your stories to us today man really enjoyed this conversation wish i had more time to ask you more questions and share more stories but thank you so much ben higgins for, for coming on the storybox podcast hey good man thanks a lot i don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another incredible story i just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today it is my prayer that you would have felt inspired motivated challenged in some way and that you would have learned something new as well if you like to hear more amazing stories like this one you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform it's that easy if you did get something from our guest today please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story and before you go Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 